0: Welcome to Ink's The Founder's Project with Alexa von Tobel. I'm Alexa, the founder of LearnBass, author of New York Times bestselling book, Financially Fearless, and second book, Financially Forward. I'm also the founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital, a venture firm focused on the entrepreneurs of the future. Each week, we sit down with the top founder to share their story of guts, inspiration, and drive. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Alexa von Tobel, and this week, I'm excited for you to meet Alex Bozzi's CEO and co-founder of Deal, the fastest growing global compliance and payroll solution that helps businesses hire anyone, anywhere. Founded in 2019, Deal's technology offers payroll, HR, compliance, and benefits needed to hire and manage a global team. In under just three years, the company has grown to over a thousand employees nationwide in over 75 different countries and has raised 600 million in funding. It has an 8,000 plus customer list, including brands like Shopify, Coinbase, and Cloudflare. Alex grew up in Paris and graduated from Technion and then MIT with a master's in civil and environmental engineering. Prior to Deal, he co-founded investment fund Surana Ventures. In 2020, he was featured on Forbes 30 under 30 finance list. And with that, let's welcome Alex. Excited to have you here, Alex. We're so excited to have you here today. Um, and I just want to start with the basics, which is what is Deal in your own words? And where did you come up with the idea?
1: Yeah, of course. First of all, Alexa, thank you so much for having me. Super excited to chat with you today. Um, what is Dill and where did I get the idea? Uh, well, maybe a little bit of background on myself, that might help. So I was born and raised in France and kind of traveled around and moved in different countries. So I lived in Israel and then the US and the UK, I uh, actually met my co-founder in the US. I think throughout our careers building companies, we realized that uh, there's enough talent everywhere, but opportunity just isn't distributed, right? It's not there. And so many people, I guess even ourselves, right, had to move to different countries to get to study to great universities and potentially have opportunities, right? And we, we saw that huge gap in the market where as the world kind of become more borderless, you know, not everyone get to work for the best companies in the world or get to have the same experience where we're working for other companies. So that's why we kind of started Deal. And the premise of Deal is very simple. Uh, we help companies hire other people in different countries compliantly with or without any infrastructure. What that means is, if you're a company and you want to hire in Japan tomorrow and you want to work with that person as a 1099 or as a W2, one, you don't know what a 1099 in in Japan is, right, so you wouldn't know how to go about it. Or two, you might not have a subsidiary in Japan to employ that person and give them all the different benefits. Um, So we do all of that for you, right? We actually localize contracts or we have subsidiaries around the world so that we can employ people on your behalf and give them the experience that you would be giving them if you had a local infrastructure. So what we think is the experience they deserve.
0: Awesome. So Alex, one of my favorite things about you and Deal is that you actually came up with the idea before COVID. What made you bullish on the idea that distributed talent was going to be a category to bet on? What would you say was really that clear aha moment for you?
1: I mean, of course it wasn't, you know, I woke up one day and said, oh my God, this is the, you know, this is how, and this is how we should structure it at all. But I was bootstrap building my first companies and uh, I had amazing engineers because they were the only one really I could afford based in the Ukraine or in Serbia or in India. Um, So I had that experience of hiring amazing people that were as good, if not better than some of my friends based in the country. And and I just realized, I remember making those like manual payments, having no idea what I was doing, drafting contracts from downloading templates in Google that I knew just weren't going to be the right thing. Uh, And just, you know, I realized being like, there's no way this is, how this works and you know sure at the time i I thought it was a bit more around payments and infrastructure didn't realize how big the compliance piece of cross-border hiring was going to be but things kind of like as we dug into that problem and as we tried to go deeper and deeper into providing that better experience we realized hey it's not just a matter of payments it's not just a matter of like convenience it's also most companies are just doing it straight out wrong right and we can actually help them do this better and automate a lot of the process
0: through the customer experience at deal. So let's say I'm a company who wants to hire uh, engineers in Brazil, give us a sense of what you take off my plate as a, as a founder and CEO.
1: Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, there's lots of different ways to go about it, right? Like the first one, uh, as I was saying, is hiring them as a contractor. And you know, the truth is you have no idea what a contractor in Brazil is, right? How do they get set up? How do they invoice you, what tax form, what compliance documents they need to have? We can do all of that for you, where you would set up someone as an independent contractor, sign a contract that's locally compliant for both sides of the law, and then just pay them in a click of a button every month and give them a great experience. That would be the model number one that we serve companies for. The second model is we have an entity in Brazil, and if you don't have an entity in Brazil, then we would employ those people for you, give them the best benefits locally, make sure that they're on payroll and everything is smooth without you having any infrastructure. Uh, And a new, new thing we actually just launched today uh, is our global payroll product. I don't know if we're going to touch on that, but just for the mention, imagine now, you know what, you're ready to go even deeper in a country and invest into a country and you open your own subsidiary, then we'll help you run your own subsidiary, right? And run payroll across all the different subsidiaries you might open around the globe. So really giving you that full service in one place, whether it's contractors, employees, without you owning any infrastructure or even running your own infrastructure in one place.
0: That's amazing. So, Alex, I want to touch on again. Came up with the idea in 2019, well before COVID happened, but then COVID did, and your business went from a you know a, a, a wonderful business to a hundred million of ARR in under two years, and truly had just kind of a wild explosion. How did you begin to think as COVID happened? Like, put us into your mindset. But then, what did it actually do for your business? Give us some detail.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm a little biased, right? Because we started a business in 2019. We launched in April 2019, coming out of YC. And, you know, we launched a business we believed in, right? Like, we, we knew that it was just a matter of time before companies embraced more global hiring. And the truth of the matter is, you know, since you work in VC, right, like 10 years ago, people were already hiring great engineers outside of the US, right, in Ukraine and others. It's just the mindset switched, right? It switched from, oh, you you have people in the Ukraine or in the Philippines or in Russia, you're outsourcing to, oh, you have a global team, right? And that huge mindset, like kind of unlocked a lot of different things. One, it unlocked the fact that, well, if they're your team, then they're not just outsourced, right? They're like some people you want to give a great experience to. And that was a big catalyst for us. Uh, But coming back to your specific question, when you came down to COVID, look, I do think that from maybe a perspective standpoint it accelerated the business i do think that it accelerated a lot of the bigger companies right like enterprise that you know might have taken us a longer time to to get on board they just had to buy the product a bit faster right because you're a large company you don't have a subsidiary in croatia your director of engineering wants to be with his family or her family in croatia like what are you going to do? Just tell them, sorry, we can hire you there. No, you know, you try to retain that talent. And we saw a lot of companies during that time having to be more flexible. Uh, and that definitely helped us accelerate some of those bigger enterprise accounts. Uh, apart from that, you know, I think we you know, we definitely had the tailwinds of the of the market and the timing with us. But, you know, uh, I also like to think that deal as a business is, is on that front, decently recession proof, right? Where now that global hiring is becoming a bit of a new normal and that every company, whether or not they're fully embracing it is open to the idea. You know, every one of them wants to have the right infrastructure to do it well and to give a good employee experience.
0: What were your lessons of hypergrowth? Give us a sense of just like what went really, really well what did you get wrong? I'm sure many things broke, but give us a sense of just the 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 things that you were the right bets that you made that you're really happy about and anything that you made where it, you can pay it forward to a lesson to, to the rest of us.
1: Yeah, I think we you know, our journey was in a way very much of a linear line and, and in some ways quite straightforward because we made a lot of our decisions as the company grew, right? So from April 2019 to March 2020, when we raised our series A, we had spent the better of the time just building, right? Like we knew we were, we believed we knew we were going in the right direction. We were very focused on making the product more robust and the financial infrastructure more robust and compliance more robust, right? So like we kind of had that leeway where we were growing, but not at a crazy pace, and we got to a point where growth was good enough, where we could switch from a founder-driven sales cycle only into hiring our first salespeople, or at the time, our first head of sales. Uh, so that you know that was very interesting, and that kind like, of gave us the space to build, while still maintaining the you know the key north star metric that we had, that was over twenty plus percent month from a month growth, right you know, there's always the perspective of what's going on inside, right? Like relative velocity, like for us, you know, on a lot of different ways, we're very slow. Uh, But I guess it does does feel like we're running really fast on the outside. And sometimes we even forget it. That's why we even released that uh, $100 million in revenue milestone because we wanted everyone to remember that what they've achieved within the company is, is quite impressive, right? And it's important to just for internally for people to realize that what, what they're doing is quite special. So that that's why we wanted to share that. But overall, I think for us, it's always been about being very focused on execution and moving really fast. Uh, we feel like there's a huge opportunity in front of us, right? The, the mission of the company is, is quite you know, really drives you to want to deliver, to want to build, right? We want to help a hundred plus million people get to work for the best companies in the world. So being very focused on your customers, focused on your mission. I know it sounds really cliche, but like we, we just were very, very execution focused. Like we want to get there. This is the group we want and we'll do whatever it takes to get there. And so far we still do that today. And so far it's taken us where we are.
0: That's wonderful. You're absolutely a founder who kind of walks the walk here. You have a team of over uh, 1,100 employees working from 75 countries, um, which is pretty crazy. Can you give us just a lesson in how you think about adding team members uh, to deal and what and any kind of filters you use to make sure? And again, everybody out there right now is still hiring remotely and trying to figure out, uh, you know, how to make sure you bring on the best people possible. What are your philosophies there?
1: I personally interviewed the first 400-plus people at the company. And I think that actually was super valuable. So I would strongly recommend doing this for as long as you can. I stopped. I don't know if I should have, but I stopped because I started becoming a bottleneck for my team. And in that path of fast hiring growth, uh, that wasn't the best. This is not a tip, but this is how we did things. And I think it did help us quite a bit. So as an HR company, so take it or leave it, that's what I meant by that. But as an HR company... I really wanted every single leader at the company to truly understand what people, people operation, talent acquisition was so that whenever we did bring this on board, it was a function that they would really, really appreciate. Um, So for the better, until December, actually, we had no people team every leader was part of the people team. So they had to go through hiring. They had to create their own contracts on the platform. They had to do all of the work that today, I believe makes them a much better partner for our people team, right? Because they appreciate their work even more and they don't see it as like, my job's done. I found the person, I interviewed them. Thank you HR, goodbye, right? They appreciate every steps of it. It's not perfect. We need to do much better in lots of different ways, but I, I believe that this helped us being more critical thinking in terms of who we were hiring and what was the process we were making people go through. And I think it just raised the bar for talent in general. So that was quite interesting.
0: What do you think the future of work is? If we fast forward five to 10 years, what do you think normal work is going to look like for, you know, a significant portion of the population on the planet in your mind?
1: Yeah, I mean, I get that question a lot. Um... And it's quite interesting because we're starting to work with much, much larger companies now that are thinking about how will the world look like for their workforce over the next fifteen, twenty plus years. I'm kind of tiptoeing around like that concept that I'm quite interested by. There was a point where a lot of companies, bigger companies, were getting sold by SAP or acquiring through SAP, like this idea of like digital transformation, right? Like I actually think over the next few years, a lot of companies are gonna go through this concept, I haven't nailed the word just yet, but like this work, this concept of workforce transformation where you're just gonna be a lot more flexible in terms of how you think about your workforce and how do you get things done. And I'm already seeing very large companies thinking about that and wanting to be a bit more versatile in terms of how they hire and how they work with people. So yeah, I'm super excited about how things will, will change and to be a bit more pragmatic. Um, you know, if you look at the short term, like you know, midterm, I get a lot of questions around, like, you know, do you think people are gonna start going remote first? Do you think people are gonna be hybrid or all in office? And you know, my answer, which I think is pretty standard is, you know, I think a lot of companies are gonna start getting into a point where they understand what works for them. And you know, what works for them might be the leadership team, might be the overall company that's really a company fit and and start building their infrastructure towards that where people, uh, because I do think the market will still be to some extent, at least for the best employees, quite employee driven. Uh, people will start picking, you know, what makes the most sense for me. And it might be a fully remote company or it might be you like being in office, right? So I think things are going to split into different types of companies and their operating model. And then employees will just fit into what makes the best sense for them and what gives them what they want in life.
0: I want to double click on how you think about asynchronous work, where basically there isn't a work day schedule. It's not a nine to six or... So you you're at the forefront of like watching some of these insights, right? Like you have... Things that the rest of us don't get to see. What are some of the things that you're, the glimmers that you're starting to see about what the future of work can look like that you think are pretty fascinating?
1: My way of thinking about my day is less about like splitting time in half, which is like what traditionally people do, but more about you know working when it makes sense for me and and not working when it when I think you know I should be taking a break or. If you look at my schedule in general, you know, you'd know you see me like take a boxing class in, at 11am, right? When uh, it's not exactly typical of your straight workday. Uh, but for me, it's more about like finding the balance between being able to collaborate with my colleagues, sync if I need to, async if I need to, and uh, being able to manage my schedule the way, the way that I see fit. And I think I'm seeing a lot of that happening at this internally where. A lot of people have different obligations, whether it's uh, picking up the kids at school, whether it's taking care of one of their family members that needs their attention in the morning, whether it's traveling to another continent for a couple of weeks for their significant other, or just whether you're you're a night person, not a morning person, so you don't want to work then. So I think the idea of being able to manage your schedule better so that you are the most efficient for yourself and for your company and you're about to do your your best work is super critical i'm seeing much more and more traditional companies being more acceptable often starting to think about output versus input Uh, so that's one of the more interesting trends and i'll say the second most interesting trend is i'm seeing even larger enterprise being more and more flexible in terms of location so i'm seeing even large banks being hey like as long as you're working within Europe, right? Or as long as you're working within places where we have our own offices. Like, we just want you to be able to do your best work. And that's, yeah, that's quite, it's it's earlier than I thought it would be. So I find that quite interesting.
0: You had such a wild fundraising, right? You're Series A, you had injuries in Horowitz pitch you. You've uh, literally raised 600 million in about 18 months, which is obviously a tremendous amount of money. How do you think about making sure that that cash lasts and that you put yourself in the absolute best position to grow give us just an insight of how you think about deploying capital
1: yeah I'm, I'm quite biased on that subject I actually wrote it somewhere on Fred or something but that's actually something that's very dear to Shaw and myself um, where you know we was we were always raised very mindful of uh, of cash and how we spend it to the dollar so, we kind of took an approach very early on at the company and still today, um, where today's a bit different than, than how, from a structure perspective. I think we're much more efficient for lots of different reasons. But at the time when we started the company, for example, we raised our seed around $4.something million, $4.2 million, I think. And we got into our Series A almost a year later. And I think we had spent like 350 k uh, So that just put us in such a great position, right, when it came down to fundraising. And basically the idea behind... Our spending mindset is the idea that we want to spend like if we were around before. So we spent like a pre-seed company in our seed round. We spent like a seed company in our Series A, and that just helped us maintain our burn so heavily that we every time we went we approached the fundraising. Although sure the, the timeline was quite stretched for the last four rounds, uh, we were always in a cash advantageous position where we had you know infinite runway every time almost right. So that was quite helpful.
0: And we'll be right back after a message from our sponsors. Alexa here. Not only do I get the opportunity to speak with all types of founders on, for starters, but I'm a repeat founder myself. We all know how vital fundraising is to a startup. Carta knows this too. That's why they had founders in mind when they created their fundraising suite, providing tools and support to take the friction out of fundraising. They save founders time and money, allowing you to focus on your goals, not the admin work needed to close around. From simply issuing safes to quickly receiving funds, Carta Fundraising Suites helps their cap table customers raise a better fundraising round. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Alex, I want to transition a little bit to you, which is, you know, you grew up in France um, and I always love to ask people, especially people who've done really extraordinary things like yourself, like what did your family do to make you special uh was there something in your childhood that you that you really cling on to when you think about your kind of grit and your resilience and your work ethic
1: yeah i think i still have a lot of things to do and we're very early but uh, thanks for for the compliment well you know i'm not sure i can pinpoint it but i think i'm very lucky to have grown in a very uh loving family and very entrepreneurial family Uh, i do come from you know a background where my grandparents um Moved out. I don't know if "moved out" is exactly the, the best term, but I guess fled uh, North Africa, right? And Algeria at the time moved into France with not much and uh, built up my my father. I think my father in that case would be a, a better person from uh, the grit that he got from from this experience, right? Very poor family. My my grandfather was working at the tube station at the time, uh, and basically built him up into, you know, uh, a pre solid entrepreneur that built a publicly traded company in France, which is exact not exactly the easiest country to build a strong company into. Uh, and I guess a lot of those entrepreneurial work ethics, a lot of this uh, perception of you can rebuild the world. I kind of saw through him over the 25, 30 years that he built his business. And uh, I, I do believe that gave me the perspective of, well, you know, if he built the chef the world he wanted... I think I can do the same uh, and you know that just builds a lot of grief and a lot of uh, naivety when you're building where um, whatever you know in my case if you think about what Shu and I are building like if I tell you well you know we're gonna do global payroll global HR legal everywhere in every single country employment law you're thinking like oh my god this is crazy I, it's gonna be quite hard and we're just thinking like all right we can we can do this like we'll find a way right and that, that has been really <laughs> helpful. <laughs>
0: One of your investors said that you give off the feeling of inevitability. You're always in a hurry. At, you have this really powerful sense of urgency, but that having met you, it feels like it's inevitable whatever you're trying to accomplish will happen. Tell us about that urgency. Like, Give us a little bit more, because I think a lot of founders don't have enough of it, and clearly you have an abundance of it. Where does it come from?
1: Um you know, I think most of the people in my life and around me, most of the talented people, and not saying myself, but I think everyone around me has always had, every successful person I've ever met has always had this self-driving like driving pressure on themselves, right, or that imposter syndrome. And I think this is something that we, we share you know, with Shuo and with everyone at the company that we're just very excited and very self-pressured into building something really great and you know the thing is i think i'm very lucky to be in a field where we're very very customer-centric and very customer empathetic and when you work in a field where you help people get paid you help people get employed and their contracts and like that's how they put food on the table that empathy that you know we grew up with and that we feel kind of found itself in a field where empathy is so needed it's like it just forces you to want to be better
0: I think one of my other favorite things about you is that you've said working harder is a competitive advantage. I agree with that strongly. If you go back to your childhood, is there anything else about your work ethic that you really cling on to?
1: I'm not sure. I think, you know, one of the things I'm lucky to have in life is uh, I don't consider work as work. Uh, I have a lot of fun in everything I do. And um, that just, I'm just I just don't f- see work the way a lot of people do. And I can just spend a lot of time just making sure that the details and the fine prints are good while working on the bigger picture as well. So I think that's the one thing that I've, I've been lucky to have as, a, as an entrepreneur, and in my case as a CEO, is I get to work on a lot of different things that's really fun. And I get to surround myself with who I think are some of the best people in the world and what they do. And I get to learn. And this, this continuous learning is really, really enjoying. It's a, it's a lot of fun and a lot of joy.
0: What do you do? What are the sort of habits that you've developed to, to stay as focused as you need to be? Is it meditation? Is it What is it that keeps you sane through, I mean, going from zero to a hundred million of revenue in two years through a global pandemic, raising $600 million in a short period of time with employees in you a know, hundred countries? That's crazy. Uh, that's a lot for any human to take on. What do you do to stay sane?
1: I mean, who tells you I am? <laughs> uh, um, I'm not sure. I think, you know, for me, it's just about surround, being surrounded by great people. Uh, I think I'm very lucky to be surrounded by very loving people that, uh, you know, balance me out on lots of different ways and brings that sanity balance to to my life. And I think, you know, like you said, it's view from your side, I, I can see how it sounds really crazy from the inside. It just sounds like day to day, right? And the work we're doing. So, um, I think I'm doing okay.
0: <laughs> I like it. Um, last question I want to ask is: Is there anything that you hold as sacred? Is there like a value system or something for the company? Something that you've shared a mission statement of, that that you think is sort of a north star in your mind every night when you go to bed?
1: Oh yeah, month over month growth in revenue. Um, that's what we look at the most. And second is um, you know, customer like whether it's client or employees or contractor satisfaction. Right, those are the two things we look at the most. And those are the two things that drive every every day of the business every feature we built every you know i, I build a feature i want to make like every company i guess but i want to make sure my customers are happy and i want to make sure it's going to impact revenue impact impact our krs and you know we have pretty high expectations for ourselves so we're very hard on ourselves as well and we make sure that whatever we decide we outperform every time and uh, you know it's uh it's uh, it's fun, ride right? And it's, there's you know, still a lot of things to do, but so far we've been able to do so. So let's continue that way.
0: I love it. You had two KPIs as clear as day. That's wonderful. Um, I want to move to a quick fire round. I'm going to ask a question. Just tell me literally the first thing that comes to your mind. And I'm going to start with, what gets you out of bed every day? My customers. What's your favorite interview question? Um, when you said you interviewed, you know, 400 people, the first 400 people of the, the company, what's a go-to interview question you really like to ask?
1: Hmm. Okay, well, you're gonna spoil of my future interviews, but it's okay. Uh, my go-to interview is I love to ask people um, who's the best person they hire and why, and people love to talk about that. And then I love to ask them on the back of that, um, who's the worst, without naming, right, but who's the worst person that they ever hired, why, and how long did it take them to let them go? Because in our field, the wrong hire costs you so much. So trying to understand, everybody's ready for who is the best, I mean, at a manager level, everybody's ready for the question, who is the best person you ever hired? on the back of that, who's the worst person you've ever hired, and no one is really ready for that, and you just put a lot of people on the back foot, and they usually are quite truthful about it, which is very helpful for me. So I understand, as manager and as people, what do they care about the most, and how would they have done things differently?
0: Awesome. Uh, I like it. I like it a lot. And you know, if somebody's diligent enough to have listened to this interview before you interview them, you know, good good, good for them. We'll give them a head start uh, on that question. Um what is your biggest pinch me moment to date where you actually, you know, finished a day of work and just were so over the moon, proud of what you had accomplished? What happened?
1: Mm. You know, this is something I'm uh, not the best at. Um, celebrating milestones is ne- has never been something I'm good enough at and something that we as a team, because of that, I believe we need to get better at. I definitely need to get better at that. So it's hard for me to pinpoint something specific, um, but, you know, I, I believe, you know, every single step through the company, every single milestone that we celebrated always made me really happy, but, you know, you're happy for a couple of minutes and then you realize, OK, what's next? Um, so it's hard for me to point out, to you know pinpoint something specific on that in that case, sorry.
0: I, I, I'm not surprised. I'm also not good at celebrating milestones, so I, so I appreciate the honesty on that one. Um, OK, last question here. Fast forward two years. How many days a week do you think people go into offices? Two years from today.
1: Depends, right? If you're a fully remote company, none. If you're a fully in-office company, four days a week. If you're a hybrid company, one to two days a week.
0: That's a really good, succinct answer. I like it. Um, Alex, this has been a delightful uh, interview. Thank you so much today. You're amazing.
1: Thank you so much. And you've asked me some very fun questions no one has ever asked. So I really, really appreciate (laughs) it. (laughs) Thank you for taking the time today.
0: Thank you so much for joining us here today. If you want to learn more, I want you to head to deal.com. That's D-E-E-L.com. And you can join us next week for Ink the Founders Project with Alexa von Tobel. Thank you so much for being here. This was a pleasure.